Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Sybil. And this is Every Rom-Com, the podcast that has fun taking romantic comedy seriously. Today on Every Rom-Com, we'll talk about the pitfalls of dating and existing as a powerful woman. Discuss the relative virtues of compromise and idealism. And we'll talk about what we love. And don't love as much. About the movie Long Shot, featuring Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. Sybil. So how has your week or rather two weeks been, I think? Um, Yeah, I mean, I had a friend in town. So that was nice. And I have just been like prepping my Christmas stuff. We have a whole like nightmare before Christmas theme going out in on in the front of our house. So no way. Yeah, we totally do. So we have like Jack Skeleton and we have zero. We made a wreath like we have this like four foot wreath. That's like the wreath monster out in the front. Oh my God. Yeah. It's pretty epic. So we're having a good time with our, uh, our new house and all the decorations. My first time ever having decorations on the house. Really? Yeah. You have like, well, just when you're Jewish, we didn't have, we didn't have Christmas oh. decorations. Yeah. Yeah. So is it fun for you? Yeah. I'm having a great time. So we're really, really, really enjoying it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. We're having a pretty low key Christmas here, but I'm like super excited to give presents to my husband. And since this podcast won't really be released until, you know, way after Christmas. It's true. <laughs> um, yeah. I can just say that I, I bought him some pretty cool things, including this like Godzilla game that he's not expecting because he's Ooh, a really big fan of fun. Godzilla. Yeah. So I'm just happy for him to open his stockings. Yeah. And by the time this podcast is released, actually, it'll be probably about a month from now. And we will be looking at the inauguration of the first female vice president. Right on. Well, hopefully, unless the world. You know. No, it's all, all going to go fine. It's all going to go fine. It's all going to be fine. <laughs> anyway, yeah. And that very much relates to our movie today that we're going to be talking about, which is Longshot. And um, well, before we talk about it, I wanted to give us a little taster from the trailer. So here we go. Charlotte, I would like to endorse you to be the next president of the United States. Oh, my God. You've been a great secretary. Of state. Which state again? All of them. Secretary of State looking at us? I kind of know her. It's like kind of knowing a mermaid. Do you tell people that? She probably doesn't remember who I am. Secretary Field would like to speak with you. With me? I can't shake this feeling that we know each other. We do. We do? Picture me, I guess, maybe like 20 years younger. But like this. Florsky? Yeah. What are you doing these days? I'm a journalist. You're a great writer. But sometimes you're a little too much. I don't think I am too much. I actually think I'm the perfect right portion. It's really nice to see you again. Okay. <laughs> so oh. this is a very yeah it's a very visual trailer so he just fell down the stairs and also boys to men come on now boys <laughs> to men back again yeah i do like boys to men oh and honestly before we start the podcast sorry i i messed up i'm the host it falls on me buck stops here but uh, i just wanted to remind our viewers or listeners rather that you can always find us at everyromcom.com and if you want to send us feedback suggestions or questions feedback at everyromcom.com. Now I've done my duty. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's a pretty, it's a pretty good trailer and it has lines that aren't in the movie in it too. Like, 
uh, secretary of state. And then he says, which one? She says, all of them. That That isn't in the movie. It got cut. Yeah, I don't totally know did. Totally made it on the cutting room floor. <sighs> they cut some good stuff out of this movie. Anyway, so like basically Longshot was released in May 2019. And since these have been a couple of the longest years ever, it seems like it came out <laughs> freaking five years ago, six years ago. I don't even know. <laughs> Does it feel that way to you? Um, you know, it's funny because I watch this movie a lot. So I, I feel like it's, okay. it's happened. Like it does feel like before the Trump era, though. Yeah. Yeah. It has a, a sensibility before the Trump era. I think. And it's directed by Jonathan Levine. Levine. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, to be honest. It's Levine. I- Okay, Levine. And he's done a couple other movies, but I haven't seen them. But one of them I definitely want to do for Halloween called Warm Bodies, which you is a rom-com horror. It's so no, amazing. I haven't. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Halloween season 2021. It's a great film. It's a great book, yeah. too. Book oh, wow. There. It's a great book okay. as well. Young adult book. I did not know. I didn't know any of it. And I guess he also did something called 50-50. Have you seen that one? Uh, yes, I have. Oh my and god! You've seen it's all not of them. as good as Warm Bodies, but you can see like his the evolution of like his his directing. Okay, cool, and that's also with Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the writers are mostly TV writers: Dan Sterling and Liz Hanna. And I've watched all of Girls, so Dan Sterling's done work on Girls, and Liz Hanna did work on Mindhunter, which, which I love. Really like. Yeah, I love Mindhunter. I heard it might get canceled. I'm just like, no. Yeah, no. well, you know, Netflix—they don't let things go very long. They canceled Glow. I mean, they cancel everything. That yeah. three seasons is their magic number, by the way. So anything beyond mm-hmm. three seasons, it's because it did way beyond expectation. It's won awards or somebody is financing it. Mm. She also did all the bright places, which is a Netflix movie. So that you know, one and done doesn't get canceled. Totes. So yeah. And- and Do you have anything else to say about those creators or? Um, no, I just, I, you can tell as, as far as I'm concerned, if you watch this, you can tell that there are, they're mostly, um, they're mostly TV writers because it's very fast. Like everything's very fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, when I watch this, I sometimes feel like, I feel like I'm watching more of like a TV series put like squished together. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. So the basic premise of this movie is you've got a journalist named Fred Flarsky played by Seth Rogen. And you've got a secretary of state, Charlotte Field, played by Charlize Theron. And they were neighbors in their childhood, and she babysat for him, actually. And at the same time, they're kind of facing a career crossroads. Um, Fred's uh, paper that he works for, a small newspaper, gets bought by a media mogul named Parker Wembley, who's very conservative, pretty much a stand-in for Rupert Murdoch. And so he quits in protest. And simultaneously, Charlotte finds out that the kind of incompetent president she is working for has chosen not to run for a second term so he can <laughs> get jo- get get a more prestigious job working in films right and <laughs> he and so he is prepared to endorse her run for president in the in the for the next term in 2020 at that time and at their their paths cross at a benefit uh, Charlotte is looking for a speechwriter to help punch up her speeches to get ready for a presidential campaign. And, you know, F- Fred's not really looking for anything, but he has always had a thing for Charlotte since he was a kid. So that's their kind of meet cute is at this benefit. And oh, yeah. so I'm going to, I'm going to cut in for just one second. Um, sure. We, I've watched this film a million times and Nils watched it. That's my, my, my boyfriend watched it with me last night. And he was the first to notice that Parker Wembley is actually played by um, the dude who plays the Gollum. I know Andy Serkis. Yeah, I know. 
I know. Isn't that insane? It was insane. I was like, oh my God, I never noticed. He's that he's that good, guys. He's that good. All right. I literally sorry. I didn't notice until I checked the IMDB page when I was doing research. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, but of no, course. totally. That good, guys. Worth it just for that role. Honestly. <laughs> Although Gollum is less creepy, to be honest. hundred percent true. hundred percent true. <laughs> so sorry to cut in, but I, I do like I want to make sure I mention that. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. So, so Sybil, like this was um, one of your picks when we started talking about doing the podcast, this was one of your picks. So I wanted to kind of let you talk about like why it was important to you to do this film. So I find, so for, you know, most of us, we don't think of rom-coms as like, like really kind of like raunchy, raucous comedy, which this one really is. Uh, and two, this one is more of a male lead driven rom-com. So Seth Rogen really plays the girl and Theron plays the dude in this movie. And you can, it feels that way, which is why I feel it's kind of more like kind of raunchy at times. It's not as sweet, even though it is very like loving and kind, but yeah. it, it definitely is a dude's kind of rom-com. Yeah. Yeah, it has a it has like some of that tonal element to it for sure. Yeah, and yeah. so and I also I like really strong female leads, and Charlize Theron is a goddess. Yeah, <laughs> so those Definitely. are pretty much my reasons why I really I really wanted to do this film. I also just think it's a very good film. It's just really funny, and the more you watch it, the more kind of nuances you catch. Hmm. Hmm. So, and then. When Sybil suggested it, I also thought it would be a really natural choice for because we're going to be debuting this podcast in January 2021, and we're going to be seeing our first female vice president inaugurated, which is a huge historic milestone. And, you know, a lot, there's been a lot of speculation also that Kamala Harris might end up being a first female president because we don't know, you know, how if Biden will seek a second term or, you know, to be honest, he's old enough, he might not make it through a first term. So like we're maybe on the cusp of that becoming a reality. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's a, I mean, I, I think it's a very, it's fun. Cause it's, as you said, it's like 2019, but it's very political now. Yeah. Yeah. The, I think it's definitely still topical. I think we may, we'll, we'll talk about that later. We may end up disagreeing about like, how relevant it is just because I think culture is changing so quickly these days, but yeah, we'll talk about that a little later on down. So mm -hmm. obviously you love this film. So like if you were, we haven't introduced ratings on this show yet, but like, I mean, off the top of your head, if you were to rate it out of five, like on a five, this is definitely a five for me. I, I watch, okay. I own it. I watch it a million. I've watched it a million times already. I, I love <laughs> okay. it. I quote it. I love it. Yeah, for me, like the first time I saw it, I think I gave it in my head, like unofficially, maybe a four. It has actually gone down a little bit for me to a 3.5. Sorry. Really? Sorry. So what makes it get yeah. less exciting for you? I'm going to get into it a little bit later, sort of as we unpack the film. Right like, on. Just kind of like I just started looking at the mechanics of some of the scenes a little bit and I noticed some things. But like, I totally love that you love this film. All I think right, it's, well, let's, let's get I think it's definitely it. a, an important rom-com, no matter what. It's true. So let's. Let's talk about your goddess first. Uh, Charlize Theron. I mean, she's magic in everything she does, even the bad stuff. So she's like one of those actresses. What's the bad stuff? Just out of curiosity. Um, you know, she. so she's just done that Netflix show, The the Guard, The Old the Guard. Old guard? Oh, I have a friend who's obsessed with that. I know. I think it's terrible. It's oh, really? Like, okay. It, it, like, it, like, she's great, but it just, the, it, the writing is wretched. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I had intended to see it, but I don't know now. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I always tell people, watch it for yourself and make your own choices. It's not for me. 
So um, what's your favorite work by her? I mean, maybe this is, but is I mean, there this is one of them, but I am, um, I actually love her in the, in a movie called Tully. And I always tell people that they haven't watched it and that they should. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet either. I haven't but seen She's it incredible in it. Okay, cool. I will definitely check that out. It's a movie like, with a bad cover. It was really poorly marketed. Yeah. That, that I mean, that happens a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. My favorite intern is um, her role as Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Like, I she was just so brilliant. She was such like a great action heroine. Like, uh, and it was such a woman's story. Like she's rescuing those women from the kind of evil dystopian dictator guy. I just loved it. And like I joke, like you know, if any, if I ever get my arm amputated, at least I can cosplay as Furiosa. I'll shave my head. The whole thing be fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, there's <laughs> there's so many good movies that you can pick from. And I'm really excited that she's doing the Atomic Blonde series and that she's continuing to make them because also a fantastic film, wonderful franchise she's working on. Cool. Yeah. My other favorite role by her is we saw it together a long time ago, I think. I think we saw it for the first time together, The Devil's Advocate. Yeah. She has a minor role in that, but she was just so good. She just was I mean, that's when I first noticed her as an actress because she took that minor role and she just embodied it so fully and she was able to share screen with Al Pacino and still like hold her own. And that's yeah. where I was like, yeah, this woman is a great actress. It's totally true. It's totally true. Okay, cool. And then we've got Charlize Theron paired with Seth Rogen, which I watched way too many stupid clips from talk shows where people seemed incredulous that they were paired together in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, when I first saw that they were doing a movie together, I was like, what? But, you know, <laughs> I feel that they actually work really well together because Charlize Theron is very funny. And, yeah. in, and you know, Seth Rogen, he, Rogen he's, he's funny, but he can actually be very serious. So between the two of them, they can meet in the middle very well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it, they had good chemistry as a pairing. They seemed to work well together. Yeah. yeah. And he's had rom-com experience relative to her. Like we didn't really talk about that yet, but she hasn't been in really rom-coms before. She's been in romances, drama, right. romantic, but not rom-coms. Absolutely. So, but he did, of course, Knocked Up, which was his starring role. And also Zach and Mary make a porno, which I didn't realize Kevin Smith directed. Yeah, no, it's totally Kevin Smith. And he talks about it quite often where he's like, I should never have put porno in the name. It probably would have done <laughs> better. <laughs> and then of, he has a minor role in The 40-Year-Old Virgin as well. And then you said Take This Waltz? Yeah, so Take that. This Waltz is actually a straight up like rom-com. Okay. So, straight up rom-com. And he's fantastic in it. Okay. Yeah. So he's done a little bit of rom-com work. So he has experience in that genre. And then together... They 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 have they have good chemistry. They have great chemistry together, and uh, they're they feed off each other incredibly well. I felt I don't know actually if this would have worked as well if the roles had been reversed and Charlize had had to carry kind of the like romantic lead role. Be, I think because Seth Rogen has so much more rom com experience that he was able to kind of hold his own better and hold the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas I don't know if Charlize could have. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I do feel though, like, I don't know if it's just totally Seth Rogen's point of view, though. I feel like it's a, almost like a dual point of view because you do see both of them at the beginning of the movie, like his POV, her POV, and they kind of crash into each other. You do see both of them in you their do, absolutely. Moment. But would you say that Charlize Theron, do you feel that you, that you get a lot of Charlize Theron's, like, her, her, like, loving, her, like, love growth relationship? I do, actually. Okay. I do. Yeah, I felt like her, she has a very subtle and interior acting style in some ways, but like, I really felt it from her. I don't know. 
right now. I mean, I, I, I think nearer to the end, you really do. But I, I felt at the beginning, you, it, it was harder. Because hmm. I think that there was a lot of like pressure on her character to be like, I'm, I'm holding the like, I'm trying to become you know, the, the yeah. powerful moving to a president, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Which is absolutely her character anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got some uh, supporting characters and cast in the movie as well. So Char- Charlize Theron's character, Charlotte, she doesn't really have a traditional best friend character. Instead, she's got, I don't know if Maggie is meant to be her campaign manager, her top aide. I never got a really good sense of that. Like, I feel like they were like best friends at some point, and And then she just kind of got moved over to her like assistant aide something. Yeah. So Maggie is played by someone named June, June Diane Raphael, who I thought I recognized her from something. Like, the uh, whole time she I'm like is, I recognize she her. She is from a bunch of stuff, but you might know her best from uh, Frankie and Gracie? No, I haven't seen it. And I, I think maybe I recognized her from Amy Schumer because I used to watch her show sometimes. But yeah, she was. Yeah. She guessed it on that. I mean, she's done yeah. a bunch of stuff, but she usually has blonde hair. Okay. Anyway, she's the one I thought I recognized the whole time, and then it turned out I probably didn't. And then um, Fred does have a best friend. So his best friend is Lance, and he is played by O'Shea Jackson Jr., who it turned out played Ice Cube in Straight Outta Compton. And I knew I'd recognized him, and I did see Straight Outta Compton. So, yeah, at least I was right about that one. <laughs> there, really, there are, it's interesting because there are no – everybody is actually a, is a larger name in comedy. In Like, there are no small roles in this. And then President Chambers, um, the incompetent president who was a TV star who played a TV president and now wants to go into film instead of continuing to be president, is played by Bob Odenkirk, who we all know from Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, right. mainly. Yeah. And he, speaking of like people who take a very small role and turn it into something giant, <laughs> I mean, fantastic every time he's on the screen. Yeah, that is true. That's true. You could almost watch like a Veep style show about him. Uh, absolutely. I, mean, I would totally watch his movie. I would watch it. <laughs> and then my f- personal favorite side character is Prime Minister James Stewart, who's supposed to be the Canadian Prime Minister, played by Alexander Skarsgård. And he plays the pr- Canadian Prime Minister as kind of like really posh on the surface, but like a total dork, like, you know, behind the scenes, like in real life. And like, he was so hot in True Blood. Like I totally was into him in True Blood as Eric, but now he's like this total, do- he just does such a good job dorking himself. He does. <laughs> he does. That, dorking I, himself sounds bad. He, you know no, I mean? he does. He dorks himself. That's the best way to put it. <laughs> he dorks himself. He gets, and he, he, and at some point we don't want to do spoilers yet, but he has to dork himself even further that he had to hide a dork part of him. That was amazing. The whole, that whole section is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And then, as we've mentioned before, Parker Wembley, the evil media mogul, conservative media mogul, is played by Andy Serkis of LOTR, Lord of the Rings, King Kong, Age of Ultron, Black Panther fame. And he was in a rom-com, 13 going on 30. Absolutely. Absolutely. Deep cuts there. Uh, (laughs) He's like, I, he was incredible. I, I didn't even recognize him. And he is so fantastic. Yeah, it was great. And then finally, we have Tom, who is Charlotte's other aide, who seems to be more of like a what they call a body man who takes care of her schedule and like her needs or like get her some food or whatever. He is played by Ravi Patel. And I had seen him on Master of None, but I don't know if I think I recognize him too, but just from things here and there. Yeah, he does a lot of standard comedy and he does, you know, other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's 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 a well-known comedian. Okay. Okay. Oh, and I should mention that we're going to try to keep the first part of the show spoiler free. I keep forgetting to mention things. I'm going to get better at this as we go, I swear. But we're going to try to keep the beginning of our conversation spoiler free, but we're going to start talking a little bit about some of what the themes in the movie are. 
And um, the most obvious theme in this movie is women in power, like uh, what it's like to be a woman in power and what it's like to try to date from that position. So <laughs> I, when I, what, one of the things that I really drew me to this film is because, you know, because of the role reversals, you have this women in powers and the challenges kind of they face. And it, as you said, Jennifer, we are living in a time right now that we are about to have women in power. But in 2019, we were suffering those same things, right? We had the Me Too movement and we had all these women who are, who are trying to pull in and kind of gain CEOs trying to gain power. And mm-hmm. here we are again with a rom-com about this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of you as a pretty powerful woman, Sybil. Like well, thanks. I think of you as one as well. <laughs> Well, I've always felt that you had a very powerful presence. And like, so I, I think like, I can see why this film would appeal to you, like on that level. Like, I don't know if I think of myself the same way. Maybe I am. But uh, I don't know. Like, did you relate to the challenges that Charlotte Oh, faces? heck yeah. Like, heck yeah. Um, she gives a speech at one point where she's like, if I'm angry, I'm hysterical. If I'm emotional, I'm weak. If I'm, if I so much as raise my, my voice, I'm a bitch. Mm-hmm. And I think that every woman who is, who's ever been in a, powerful situation has yeah. suffered all of those thoughts. Yeah. The I don't know how to handle a situation because if I say something out of turn, I'm going to be, it's just going to be taken in. The, it's going to misconstrued. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so we, you know, I mean, how many times have, you know, women been told to smile? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and these are the kinds of things she goes through this whole, I mean, when the first time we meet her, she's in a meeting where they're telling her that, that her wave is wrong. And yeah, you know, she has a focus they, group. they're breaking yeah. her down. Elegance score, humor right? score, like uh, appeal to millennials. Like they're just trying to find out. And her humor score is her lowest score. We all know <laughs> that there's the, you know, a lot of people in a sexist fashion think that women aren't funny. I find women incredibly funny. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Charlotte just talks. Charlotte is when she and Fred first meet, he's obviously writing speeches for her. And like, he doesn't get what it is to be a woman making a speech at first. And he's writing her these kind of absurd speeches and she has to explain to him, no, like I have to take into account, you know, my tone and you have to tone it down. But I mean, I, I, and I have to say there's, there's a point in me there. I'm like his speeches. I'm like, dude, no one can say those speeches. Yeah. 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 Trump, maybe no one else could have said those speeches. So, but yeah, so that was one of the point pieces. I do, I do really appreciate the fact that they bring, and they constantly bring it in, the fact of what is it like to be a woman. Um, so it's hard for me to talk about any of this without doing spoilers. So like, they're also at the banquet where she first meets Fred, like she has this high elegance score she has to preserve and she wants to eat. She's like starving, but all the food is on skewers and yes. she's like, oh, that's I literally like- what I was just thinking about. Um, what did she say? She looks like an animal or yeah, something? She, 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 she looks like the animal. She's like, has to like literally hide behind a wall of people to eat food. And then she has to spit, like she's afraid she has to spit food out because like, God forbid she should be seen chewing. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous, but it's true. It's the kind of thing women think about a lot. Right. And she's starving because she's had no time to eat. And why is there food on skewers anyways at a party? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So um, like there's not just, so there's not just challenges of being a woman in in, in general or, or being a woman in politics in general, but there's also a lot of challenges if you're trying to date, if you're a woman in power and the movie deals with a lot of those too. Yeah. So, and one of them is um, Charlize Theron's character. Charlotte goes to Fred at one point um, 
men think they want to, I'm paraphrasing, men think they want to date a powerful woman, but in reality they don't. It's a real dick shriveler, she says. Right. <laughs> and I don't I don't know if I agree that that's true of all men, but it's certainly true of some men. Like, what's your take on that? Um, I would say that, I mean... I think many men, especially men in her, like who are around her, especially the people who are in her, because she talks about beforehand, she's like the people who are in her realm who live her same life, right? They travel a lot. They live the same schedule she lives. You know, they're all going to be people of power. Yeah. Um, And many of them are going to be the same way. They're not going to be want to be shown up and they're, they're not going to be the second in command next to her. And she also faces the challenge of trying to find someone who um, can be in her realm, but also be someone who's feasible for her to date, which I think it's really funny in the movie. They try to make it seem like the prime minister of Canada character is like the sensible person for her to date. But I'm like, wait a minute here. How's that going to work out if he's in charge of Canada and she's in charge of the United States? Well, the thing I think <laughs> of that is that it's not about it's it's dating. It's it's the it's the optics. So they, they look good together. People like to see them together. They're never going to yeah. be married. That's not but they're yeah. going to look good together in photos and people are going to like it. OK, yeah. So they both basically just remain single in that scenario. Right. It's, but it's going to look real nice in the <laughs> in optics. Right. Because I think that's what they're really talking about. It's always optic optics. Yeah. Yeah. And like a woman too gets judged more harshly for her sexuality, which is something that comes up like later in the film. We'll talk about that, but they get judged more uh, harshly for that. And then, so if you're not already in a couple, like Kamala Harris is already married, so that's not a problem for her, but younger women politicians that are coming up, if you're not already in a couple, I think you're facing another challenge because we've actually only had two presidents elected in the country's history yeah. who are who are bachelors, which I found out for the podcast too. <laughs> James Buchanan and Grover Cleveland. And Grover Cleveland got married almost immediately after becoming president. And so if you're single and dating as a woman in politics, that seems like, like it's going to add another layer. Yeah, no. I, I mean, especially with women. I think men, it's it's hard too. Hence the reason they're going to be married. We want to see stable. We want to see stability. I mean, that was actually the thing that I found to be most unrealistic in everything in this film was the fact that she wasn't married. Because mm. I just would see I mean, America would be like, no way. Mm. Yeah, I didn't look into the female primary candidates from this last uh, uh, season, but I think I think all of them were married. Maybe not Marianne Williamson. America but needs to see a stable family like dynamic, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that the, America really likes to see. Well, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out in our future of our country. Yeah. I know. I know. You know, nobody wants and- to see our president on Tinder. <laughs> it's, but it's true. They just don't. There's no time for that business. Like, by the way, by the way, there's no time anyways. I, yeah, yeah. That's and time I, is another big issue that the character faces. She has so much power and so much responsibility. So how is she going to have time to really see Fred? And, and I think that was a little bit unrealistic in the movie too, which we'll we'll also talk about later. Yeah, all right. Um, so I, I before we finish this section about women in power, I just wanted to know, like, what's your opinion? Like, are you the type of person who really is waiting for and hoping for a female president or is it not as important to you? Like, how do you feel about it? I mean, it? I think every woman, and if you're out there and you're a woman and you don't agree with this, you're wrong. I'm going to say that right now as a woman who's powerful. I think every woman wants to see a woman who's a woman president. Absolutely. And okay, I, well, at this point, don't even care if they're Republican or Democrat. I just want to see a woman in power. 
because so I- you're going to say that I'm wrong then because like while I, like this is my take my take on it is this like um, I think it's very important for women to be in positions of power and for women in general to see that there are women in positions of power that they can emulate but when I'm making a specific choice about you know who I'm going to vote for it's not the t- the top thing for me like it's it's definitely like in there. But I put it after, you know, principles, well, policies. Well, that's not the question you under. asked. You no, asked, no, I no. see one in power? And then okay. yes. Would yeah. I have outright voted? Well, you said you didn't person. care if it's a Republican. No, no. But I said, I said, you said any woman. I said, I don't care if a Republican or a Democrat is in power. I would like to see one in power. Hmm. But would I vote myself, my conscience? No. But you, you, the question you asked is what I want to see it. I don't actually, I would still be like, like if Hillary had gone, I, did I vote for Hillary? I'm going to say that. No, I did not. Would I have been happy? Yes. I actually hmm. chose not to vote in that election at all because I was really? like, was terrifying. Wow. I wow. was that person. No, that's okay. I have no but judgment. I lived in California, so I felt I could. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. People don't get this. It's like people say that you're a monster if you vote, like if you don't vote for a Democrat, like, but you live in a blue state, which is always going to vote for the Democrat. It's like, no, you're not a monster. You're realistic. You're looking at the, you, you can do what you want. Like, and the same thing if you live in a red state, it's not like your vote. Like, I don't want to discourage people from voting, but we all know what system we work in right now. And it's right. not very, it's not very good. Like I'm living in Wisconsin right now, so I have the immense privilege of actually having my vote count, which is amazing. But I right, wish well, that everybody I in the right country now. I live in Nevada, so I 100% vote. Like yeah. 100%. Like I was like, I'm not like that thing is going in, <laughs> right? Yeah. That, it makes a freaking difference. It's so freaking important. Yeah. And I'd like to remind everybody who's listening to this podcast that you should always vote in your local elections too, in your city council elections, primary elections, like get on that shit. And if it's important for you to see women in power, make sure women are getting elected at these local levels or run yourself for that matter. Like AOC was a bartender and then she ran with justice Democrats. And now she's like one of the most prominent figures in our country. So I think we can all agree that AOC should be running the world. I, I mean, not yet. I think she needs some seasoning. But I yes. don't even care. I would let her out there. She can't do any worse than some of the other people who've been running our government. I mean, that is true. So, I mean, true. seriously, I'm just like, whatever. It'll be fine. She'll get good people to support her to help her make good decisions. After Trump, I think we can, yes, we can definitely say. <laughs> the bar is so low that, like, there were times when I was like, let's just pick somebody out of a phone book. And, and that person's the new president. I'm like, it's a groundhog could do a better job based on the sun. <laughs> We've just alienated anyone who is Republican, whatever. It's okay. You can listen or don't. Listen, there are lots of great Republicans out there who are like, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so, um, <laughs> women in power, we want to see them. I hope that as a woman, you want to see women in power. I do. I do just with some reservations. That's all for me personally. Like, I do want to see it as a general practice, but like, I'm not as gung ho as some people. Like I'm definitely like, I was a Bernie bro, I, you know, and f- for policy reasons. So I'm okay embracing that too. And speaking of uh, Bernie bros, like one of the themes in this movie is definitely, in my opinion, compromise versus idealism. Because yeah. Fred and Charlotte are constantly rehashing the same argument about political and ideological purity versus what you need to do to get things done. And that's a big theme in the movie. This is one of the themes that I actually really loved about this movie. Um, the idea that idealism is a thing that you have to let go of in politics and to like make change. And, and 
you know, it's, it's interesting that you have that for there, it also, for many people, it is something you have to let go of for love. So, and it's not something that people think about when I I think they first watch this film, Mm -hmm. but for many people and you, and I have talked about this, you know, when we talked about Moonstruck as well, and this probably will come up many times, but the idea of, can you have, is there anything perfect? And do you have to let go of idealism sometimes? It, it, it reflects it both in politics and in love because they, they talk about in the relationship too. Can't she have everything? Huh? I'm, I definitely want to get back to that point because I hadn't even thought about that. But I first, I just kind of want to introduce the basic, um, the argument they're having throughout the film. Mm-hmm. So Charlotte, to prepare to run for president, she has um, introduced, she's trying to introduce this. I can't even remember what the official title for it is. It's yeah, they, they, rec- they refer to it among themselves as bees, trees, and seas. It's an environmental policy, and she's trying to get all these different countries on board. I think it's supposed to roughly mirror like a Paris Climate Accord situation. Yes. So, yeah, like, and she she's going out and she's trying to win all these countries' approvals, and she wants Fred to write speeches for her to prepare for this. And she's really surprised because at first Fred is hesitant to work for her. And she's like, you know, why wouldn't you? And he's like, because... He basically gives the argument, you know, I've seen politicians say things that sound good, but then they don't really mean anything. They don't really do anything. And I only want to work for you if this is going to do something. And she promises, hey, this is going to do something. And so he agrees to work with her. But then they have end up having a confrontation because basically the first time Charlotte goes out to try to get other countries on board, she has to make a compromise. And do you mind if I play a clip here? Go for it. Are you good? Yeah, this is a clip of after Fred has found out about the initiative changing. What's the deal, Fred? What's the deal? What deal? What are you? The only reason I'm here is because you told me you cared about this shit. And in the time I come in here to have a smoke, you fucking got rid of a massive element of the whole thing. I got two out of three. I only lost one. That one was the seas. It covers 75% of the planet. It's a pretty big one. Break down your voice. You know why I'm upset? It's that this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. And I even said it. I said it in your office. I don't want to write for some bullshit politician. I wanted to write for you. Because I thought you cared about this shit. Until you're running the game, you have to play the game. Well then, by the time you win the game, you don't know who's scoring touchdowns on whose net. And you don't know who's hitting home runs in whose fucking end zone. What are you talking about? I don't know sports. Let me try it with food. You want to open a restaurant, but all you got is chopsticks. I don't have time for this. Okay, if you want to quit, then just fucking quit. I don't give a shit. Yeah, you don't give a shit. You used to fucking give a shit, but now you don't give a shit about anything. You care more about recycling in high school than you do this shit. And it's very disappointing to me. So surprisingly, or perhaps unsurprisingly, this is before they've actually gotten together romantically anyway. This is one of their first interactions together professionally. And um, the scene ends up resolving, I think, a little bit unrealistically, honestly, by Charlotte spots the Aurora Borealis. She takes a moment. She goes and looks at it. He looks at it with her. And then he ends up apologizing to her. I don't for me, I didn't buy the resolution of that scene. But I mean, I think the scene gives you a pretty good idea of what their basic disagreement is. Um, I mean, I can believe so he doesn't really love he doesn't really love confrontation in person. So I can mm-hmm. believe that also you have to remember that he's loved her for forever. So sure. he's like, Oh my God, I don't want her to hate me. So let's see if we can, you know, he apologizes for having an argument with her, but he doesn't per mm-hmm. se apologize for his opinion. Sure. But he keeps working for her. And he for does. me, that was he a does. little he surprising, her, but I don't think that he's, 
I mean, I, this is a man he, who just quit his job. Like he doesn't have, he didn't have a job. But she, the, his job wasn't the, hot and he didn't want to get into her pants. <laughs> so you have to still remember he's a dude. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to gender real, though, that because okay. I'd probably act like that too as a woman sometimes. So. <laughs> but for reals, he's a dude. Okay. Okay. And he had a, you know, he that's like for, that's reality. So I'm going to guess that when you're watching this scene, you're with Charlotte on this. You're on her side. Oh, a hundred percent. Like you have to make compromises. Cause I am on, I'm a Fred on this, on this one. Like when I, I watch know. this one, I, I identify with Fred's viewpoint. I like, I, I look at something like, I know that the Paris Climate Accord, even if the countries do follow through with it, isn't actually going to do what we need to stop climate change. And it worries me a great deal. I just feel like people will say you have to compromise, but the environment, science, reality, they don't care. It's like it's like if you're compromising on your diet, right? And you're like, oh, like I'll just have this one ho-ho. But your body doesn't care that you're just having one ho-ho. Like Your body's still going to put the ho-ho on your body. You know it's what I mean? true. But if you used to have 25 ho-hos and now you're down to one, it does make a huge difference. That's true. That's also true. I like that the movie like plays out the argument. I know. I like that and that's it's it, it does. It's a really good movie for many reasons. Yeah. No, you're, no, I, I feel now that I'm talking about it, like I do like the way it plays out the argument because this is almost an impossible situation to resolve. It is. It is. There is no right answer. There really isn't. It, mm-hmm. Both sides are, are. And that's what I think is really good about their relationship is that it, there is there is not going to be a right or wrong. And like, they are going to wind up having, they themselves wind up having to meet in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she, has she, they wind up in the end having to compromise. Now, when I was watching this too, though, I felt like it was in a way like reminiscent of like a Bernie bro, Hillary Clinton kind of situation. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's when I watched this movie. I'm like, Oh yeah. Fred's the Bernie bro. And Charlotte is like something like Hillary Clinton, but not exactly. She is the secretary of state and she's very powerful, but obviously she's unmarried. She's younger. She has, I would say more charisma, like, sorry, Hillary Clinton, like you're a very competent person, but not much with the charisma. No. And pretty crazy, honestly. So, (laughs) Well, I'm not going to get into any of that right now, but yeah, but, um, but yeah, but like, I thought it was interesting, like, and relevant to that. I think we're still going through that in our politics. Like if you go on left Twitter or, you know, liberal Twitter, there are so many arguments among different varieties of leftists about how to do politics. Like there's everything from people who want to burn everything down and have some kind of half-baked revolution like right now, like tomorrow, to people who are like, let's like just be happy about everything Biden does and not have any complaints about anything. Like there's the whole gamut. We're still living. <laughs> you had very that. Kenosha on us there. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> your, accent, your accent became very Kenosha. Well, I mean, Wisconsin in general, not just Kenosha. <laughs> let's be real. That was very funny though. <laughs> Midwestern viewers, I apologize. Oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> Why do I keep saying viewers? Nobody can see this. I know. Oh, there you go. So, I mean, I think that I mean, I think that you're absolutely correct when discussing the the fact that you know they what the politics in here are about, like the division, you know, the division division of the people, and they. I think that they really tried to in the writing bring in. Like this is what's really going on, and we're trying to show the different sides of it, uh, yeah. and make not just like some crap up <laughs> that's not going to be relevant. And I think yeah. that that also, when you watch it, like I said, the more often I watch it, the more I enjoy it. Cool, cool, yeah. 
So like, let's also talk about too, like the nation, the notion of optics. Like while we're talking about politics, like optics, like starts out as one of the most important things in the movie. We, one of the first scenes we see Charlotte in is the focus group about her attributes that we talked about, where Lisa Kudrow is telling her about all her personality traits and how they're rated by the public (laughs) and um, working on her wave. And then, and then she, also, the, despite the fact Charlotte hates this stuff, but I think her and her team fall prey to it a little bit. Like the first time she and Fred meet, it's at that party, right? And he has just finished yelling at Parker Wembley, who bought his newspaper, about how he's the source of all the problems in American media. He's ruining, you know, the country, etc. Then he falls down the stairs. Right. So instead of like caring about his very passionate speech, you then you cut to like Charlotte and her team in the limo watching him fall down the stairs to like an auto tune song or something. And they're laughing. Hilarity. Yeah. But it's, it's like but, hilarious, but it's like, that's so emblematic to me of like the exact problem that she cares about. Like people care more about what you look like, you know, and you know, the funny things that happen and these little mini scandals. That but about that's also politics. reality. That's the thing. I that's mean, the world we live does in. Does it have to be though? I mean, I don't think other countries are like that. To the I think extent. all other countries are like that. Oh, I disagree. I disagree. I used to work. So for example, I used to live in Bellingham, Washington, and we got the Canadian news there. And the Canadian news was so different than the American news. It was ridiculous. I don't know if it still holds true, but the Canadian news would have these long segments that went really in depth on issues that were not sensationalistic at all. And like, I just learned so much more from their news that I just started watching their news. I knew a lot about local things happening in Canada, (laughs) by the way. But like, I, I, I honestly think there are other countries where people maybe aren't as interested in sensationalism and maybe because they have more representative governments. I don't know where, where there's more than more than two parties. I'm not sure what the roots are, but I you can, I don't you, know. I mean, I live in America and this is what we see when I lived in Britain, it was the same. And that was like, in I think 19- Britain's very sensationalistic too. Though. I mean, I, and I lived there in 1997 and 1999 and it was like this yeah. now. And there wasn't yeah. even social media at that time. But they have those tabloids that have always Yeah, been and so, I mean, that's what I know. I haven't lived in Canada, so I can't speak to that. Nor have I lived in Canada. I have lived near it, and I've met many Canadians when I was an expat. But, and they all seemed more informed. And I've met, when I've was been traveling, I've met people from Europe who seemed more informed about our politics than most Americans are. Well, like, I mean, when I travel through Europe, I mean, people know about our stuff. But I see things that are just as sensationalized there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's every, everybody says it looks greener on the other side, you know, you look outside and it looks different. Okay. So, so optics, they're very important, at least in the United States, which is where we live and which is mm-hmm. our reality. And like the Char- we also at one point talk about like Charlotte, when she was in high school, had to deal with this too. She ran for student council president. Oh my gosh. The two proms. <laughs> And her opponent ran on two proms. She ran on a recycling po- program. Her opponent ran on two proms. Yeah, and, and guess who's sexy about recycling, but two proms, super hot. Uh, yeah, one was enough for me. I don't know. Who's going to vote for recycling when you could vote for two proms? And this is definitely true in high school. I did once become student council, what, senior class secretary, but that was the highest I rose in the ranks of Lake Geneva, you know, public schools. <laughs> I don't think you were too interested in student government. Um, I was in student government, but I can't remember what I was. You were? Literally, you were, and you don't even remember. I literally, well, if, I mean, we're going to be honest, I was the person who gave a speech at my graduation completely high. So I don't remember much. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) 
And I was the nerd taking notes about the prom who went to prom with a couple of my lady friends, one of which was Sophia, actually. So, okay. Yeah, so there you go. Okay, so we're about to begin our spoiler section. So from now on, anything we say about the movie, like if you haven't seen the movie, maybe this wait. Is the good stuff, guys. So or maybe hey, you don't back out now, forever hold your peace. But worry about it. You have to get real. <laughs> okay, so let's see. I just I feel like we should begin really quickly by just like kind of talking about how Charlotte and Fred's romance develops um, with boners. So- Oh, no. Okay, you explain that scene that I don't want to talk about. <laughs> this is my favorite scene. It's so okay. good. This is so good. Okay, so essentially they are like, Charlotte is his babysitter. And he, she's, they're making posters together. And she's his babysitter. And I think she's what, three years older than him or something? Something and like that. Something like that. Like not significantly older where it's like creepy. Okay. But it's and- like almost old almost too old for him to need a babysitter yeah i mean honestly you're like wow your parents were freaky in the 90s so (laughs) (laughs) like you should have been a latchkey kid what so (laughs) he he's he's in there and he's like super into her and she's talking about her like platform of recycling and he decides that he's getting the signal that she wants to be kissed so he goes up and he kisses her and she's like, um, no, I didn't want to be kissed, but it's too late. He's done it. She looks down and he's gotten a 13-year-old, super hard, tiny 13-year-old boner. But she looks down and she's which like, they it's referred a- to over and over again as a 13-year-old boner in the movie. Absolutely, which it should be. And it just- <laughs> she goes, no, it's okay. And then her boyfriend, who apparently is there and he didn't realize it, comes in and makes fun of his boner with a Blossom reference, which is hysterical. And then they leave. Yeah, which wasn't she babysitting him? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> because whatever. He clearly didn't need a babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is the embarrassing incident that happened to Fred and like when he meets her at the party, he is like shocked as I would be too, that she wants to like uh, talk to him about this job basically. And so they don't talk about the job at the party, but he's shocked that she wants she to talk to him at all. The boner, Cause they never talk about the boner ever again. I think she remembers it, but she's too nice to talk about. It. You maybe. would remember that. You I would don't know, remember that. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. For how, he, he might've been like, I had a boner and she's like, I immediately like blanked out in your PTSD boner. <laughs> okay. We'll we'll go with that. We'll go with that. <laughs> But uh, so they they meet their they meet a uh, bond over boys to men playing at this gala that they're both like really into. Um, then they start working together. They have their little fight about the the seas being gone, and then they can start talking together more because he wants to be a more effective speechwriter. So that's the reason given for why they start talking all the time, even though previously Charlotte had no time to basically do anything. Like she's falling asleep on her bathtub, but all of a sudden she's got all this time to hang out with uh, Fred and talk about her favorite songs and like watch like uh what was it winter soldier in russian or something yeah she watches a lot of marvel movies apparently yeah yeah i like marvel movies but anyway yeah, she watches a lot of them so pretty much they hang out like what it seems like 24 7 yeah which seems unrealistic but yeah, it seems, it, this part does seem fairly unreal it's like a montage of us hanging all the time doing lots of things and you're like wow how I think you're meant to think that it's in her like free time, basically like scattered moments. She was like literally micro napping at like 10 minute intervals. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they start hanging out a lot. Like he, he and she look like they're actually going to maybe kiss or have a serious moment. 
when he asks her about, are you and the Canadian prime minister dating? When all of a sudden they're in the Philippines and a civil war is apparently starting and bombs like comes shooting towards them. And Fred, like showing foresight. He saves her knocks life. Knocks her to the floor, action man style. Yeah, he saves her life. But then she and saves then, his life right back. Yeah. Oh. Right? Oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they end up in like some storage room and like they're she he's freaking out and she teaches him like this Navy SEAL breathing technique. And they, they've gone through, you know, one of those traumatic experiences together, one of those dangerous events together, which is often how people get hooked up in rom-coms. Right, which clearly makes them have to bone. <laughs> yes. Because, because, like, you know, adrenaline. Yeah. So I don't even know if, if they're still in the Philippines when they, when they hook up. It, it doesn't look like the Philippines. It looks like they're more like, like the tropics somewhere. Yeah. Who can say? Malaysia, maybe? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I would say more. I think you're more like correctly. But they were they are choppered to some distant remote island somewhere with a beautiful five-star hotel, apparently. Yeah. And Charlotte orders Fred to come into her room and work on a speech immediately, which is apparently code for having sex for like one minute. For one <laughs> second. It's where they both come in tandem and say. Oh, yeah. More like one second, which is like one minute in movie time. And she apologizes for coming so fast. Which is insane. I mean, it's come so on. funny. <laughs> but it's not played as a joke. It's played like a serious thing that somebody would say. I'm like, really? But no, but it's but it literally is like a joke because like like what what chick is gonna be like, I'm sorry I came so fast. Yeah. yeah. No, that's what I mean. So that and it's the it's the role reversal part. So that's why it's yeah. so funny. Yeah. Okay, okay. Like it kind of killed the sex scene for me, to be honest. It's I'm not like, supposed oh. to be a, it's supposed to be a hilarity sex scene. It's not but supposed I to be a real sex it. scene. But I wanted a real, a nice hot sex. See, and I was fine that it wasn't because those two having a real sex scene, I would have been like, this is super awkward. Really? Yeah, no, I would have been like, this is super awkward. I don't know. It's like watching Mr. Bean have sex. Like, I'm so freaked out. See, but that's like, for me, I think maybe that's one of the reasons I don't like it as much the second time is because like, I really like to have like, not just funny things in a rom-com and a romantic emotional connection. I do like to see kind of like, what is the, the heat between the couple? What is like, what is that connection like? Like, which is like why, you know, Moonstruck, for example, works so well for me. But like, I mean, there's definitely more like of an emotional connection in this one based in like, you know, them, their conversations, their history. But yeah, they have like, they have a cerebral hook. Like, I believe they're cerebrally hooked up and I believe they're emotionally attached to each other. But I don't need to see them like getting it on. Like, I'm not talking like a whole porn thing. I'm just. <laughs> no, I like that it was a funny thing because their relationship okay, is funny. Okay. I, I was okay. I understand what you're saying, but yeah, for me, I yeah. was like, I don't ever want to see them hooked. So, like, there's a movie. Oh, I cannot. I'll have to find it. I can't remember. There's a movie where literally the end is ghosts. That's not Ghost of Girlfriend Past, but there's one where the guy at the very end, he's not a usual romantic lead. And I remember at the very end, like, they don't even kiss. And I'm like, that's right, because you are not a romantic lead, and I can't even watch you have, like, a kiss at the end. Now I'm really curious what this is. So I'm going to have to go find it. Listeners, I will find it for next time. <laughs> um, because it, it literally, at the end, I was like, that's how you have to handle that situation. See, I'm okay. I can see pretty much any guy. Like, my first boyfriend was, like, kind of looked like a gnome. Like, everybody thought he looked like a gnome. And, like, but he was sexy to me. So, like, I can deal with, you know, whatever kind of dude, like, can be sexy to me. In the right circumstance. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. So after the sex scene, there's like, to me, one of the most romantic, like, and it's, there's barely any speaking. And I think it's held up by the music. There's this really romantic kind of afterglow scene where Fred is just standing on a beach and there's this cover of Moon River that I guess was done by someone named Frank Ocean, who I think is famous, but I don't really know a lot of people. He is. Frank Ocean is very famous. Anyway, I thought it was a beautiful cover. 
And the ocean is beautiful. It's gorgeous. And Seth Rogen just looks like really just like he has that like look on his face. Like that whole scene really captured for me the experience of like afterglow when you finally had sex with someone you're really into. And you're just like, yes. And he's been into her for a very long time. Yeah. So that was one of my favorite sequences. Okay. I like that sequence too. The next thing I have on my list of favorite sequences is actually one of the next plot points, which is that after they've had sex and Fred's like told his friend about it, they go to Argentina and there's another meeting that Charlotte has to go to and schmooze. But there's also tango dancing and they play like the one tango song they play in like seemingly every movie. I don't know. <laughs> no, it was the same one that was in Schiller's list. True. It's true. It might have been Incent of a Woman also. I don't know. It was 100% Incent of a Woman. <laughs> But I just think of Schindler's List, which is da, always super da, da, awkward. Da, 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 da. Yeah. yeah, no, it's totally true. I, I think it was in um the I think it's in every movie they use at period. You're absolutely right. So I'm just expecting like Oscar Schindler to come in and get everybody to party with him. <laughs> anyway, it wasn't that movie. So, but they're at this this um event and Fred's like wanting to like hang out with her, but obviously she's working, but he eventually like and he has to watch her and the Canadian prime minister dancing and looking really elegant. And then uh, Maggie, Charlotte's aide okay, is I'll also have you back for one second. So what's important oh. also about that scene is that he has asked her to dance. So ah, yes. yeah, he's yes. asked her to dance and she he was shot down and said, There's no time for that. You don't have time to dance with her. She's very busy and important and can't dance with you. So he has to literally watch her dance with other men. Yeah. Because he cannot. Yeah. And she's doing it for political reasons. She's doing but it. But even to try so, to get it's agreement. like, you know, this is he something doesn't he know that. to do. Yeah. And he doesn't know that. Right. Yeah. Oh, and it's also important to note that she has bought him like a tux for this event. Right. Like, that's the- super important. Yes. Yeah. He, she has bought, bought him a tux and she's wearing a red dress. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Because this is all about like pretty woman, right? Okay. Yeah. And in previous scenes, he has been allowed to wear ridiculously inappropriate outfits, sometimes hilariously inappropriate outfits. Like in Sweden, they dress him up in this traditional Swedish outfit, which yeah, is he's hilarious. not looked good in any outfits. Like he's looked no. ridiculous. Whole and this is the first time where he looks like a regular like man who, who should be a man, a man who should be like with a, yeah. a presidential candidate. Yeah. So after he watches her dance with the Canadian prime minister, he lures her to a back room by sending her a little cute note on a napkin saying he has a crush on her. And they go back to this back room. She has told him that her favorite song is it must've been love by Roxette. And he cues it up on uh, his phone and they dance together mm-hmm. in the back room. And then I love the way they do this scene. This is actually, I think the most masterfully made scene because they're dancing, they're slow dancing getting gradually closer together. Then it pulls out of this like sort of porthole window from the back room into the main room where people are tango dancing, but you still hear Roxette playing over that sequence. And that worked really well. I thought it was beautiful filmmaking. It's true. It was beautiful filmmaking. Also, you have to understand the lyrics of it must've been love is very, is actually a very sad song. Cause oh, it's yeah. over now. Yeah. And it's used in the breakup in pretty woman. We're going to exactly. get to some stuff about pretty woman. Right. Yes. But so, so many things are coming to culmination in this particular scene. There's so much, it's such incredibly good writing and filmmaking all coming together. Once again, it's a very well done film. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's see, what do we have? What happens after this? So this is, yeah, this is like kind of their beautiful romantic note moment. 
And then, like, Charlotte finds out that the president wants her to kill, which part? The trees? Part of the bees, trees, and seas? Yeah, no, now now the president has called her and is essentially, she thinks she's going to get, she thinks she's, Charlotte's going to get, like, the, oh, you're doing amazing, you're killing it. And instead, the president's like, by the way, I need you to kill the trees, part of this deal, so now you're just going to have freaking bees. And she doesn't even, like, care about bees, (laughs) is what she says. Uh, because they're very important though they're very important they're very important we all like these guys but she's just like i don't even want this and the reason why essentially is because he's got important people who have said that the trees have got to go yeah for money reasons for money reasons and we all secretly know listen that it's you know our evil the evil guy yeah parker wembley who's 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 telling him that this has to happen Yep. And so she's like, I've had it. I'm done with it. I don't want to be Secretary of State anymore. I just want to be fucked up. I think she says the actually the yeah. words fucked up. And so this part for me is always very emotional because I honestly believe and I, I'm going to I honestly believe that this is how Obama felt during almost the entirety of his like terms. Elaborate. Uh, I just feel <laughs> like he like laid down and felt like every time he tried to do something, somebody came in and was like, no, you can't have the trees. Or the C's, you get these B's. That's all you get. So, so who are the people? Do you think it just was like every in your mind? everyone? And I think that he just like went. By the time he finished his presidency, that's how he felt. He's like, I can't do anything. Why am I trying? Because she gives this big speech where she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. If this is how mm-hmm. I have to be, I don't want to. I don't want to be doing this anymore. And I truly feel that when by the time Obama left, like left office, that that's how he felt. And he's just like, I'm gonna ride off on of my boat. See ya. I have a more cynical view of Obama, but we don't have time in the podcast to get into it. It would be a different podcast. (laughs) But I always watch that part and I'm just like, oh, damn, damn. That part of the movie. Yeah. She's just had it. I think a lot of politicians have that moment. I do. I I think they do. And and so I I appreciated the fact that they showed it because I feel like you're right. And many other politicians probably get there too. And we just don't see it. So she, she asks him to get her. What does she say? smoke a molly she's never really done drugs smoke a molly i want to smoke a molly i don't really know drugs very well but molly is the same thing as mdma ecstasy is that right Uh, basically it's a it's a more pure form but yeah okay okay so they go like out clubbing i think they're in paris maybe yeah they're in paris and and they go out clubbing and they 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 drop some they drop some molly and then they're 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 partying hard and she's having a great time and then they decide to do some more and then (laughs) And then her uh, one of her bodyguards comes up to her and says, uh, "Madam Secretary, you're needed. Like, there's an important like hostage negotiation, <laughs> and she's still high, and right. she's going to be high for another five hours, according to Fred in the movie." Right, and uh, and so she has to go like negotiate some hostage hostages hostage release. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it ends up working partly because she's so chilled out that she's not upping the aggression. Instead, she's trying to like be really honest with the other guy on the phone, on the phone and, and be like, like, listen, I can't stand the president either. Like, let's hook you up with an aid package. I don't think this is actually something she could do, but I mean, she I mean, might be able to, she is the secretary of state and the president I know, but doesn't aid, really care. I don't care. know if she can release aid or not. I'm not sure. Well, but whatever, doesn't really whatever. Care. For all you know, she's, she's got all the power and the president, yeah. like, I don't care. In any case, like it works and she's like, woohoo, we did it. And like, she's still high. She's still got like freaking confetti in her hair. The best, the best part of this is when, when um, her aide and um, Seth Rogen are sitting in a room together and he's like, we're on drugs. We're on drugs <laughs> a million times. And oh, yeah. the aide's like, shh, not in this room. Shh, and we could be recorded. And she's like trying not to say recorded. She never said we could be recorded. But she, she keeps trying to be yeah, like, yeah. shh. 
And like she points to everything and she's yeah, looking yeah. things and he just keeps repeating what what we're trying are like we're on drugs right now. We're so fucked up we're on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Which honestly, as a journalist, I think unless you were really high, he'd probably catch on because like journalists like care about stuff. And he was secretly recording Nazis in the very first film. But yeah, it, it's a funny scene. Yeah. But it, it cracks me up every time because I'm just like, if you've ever ha- had to hang out with somebody who's like really, really high and try to explain something to them. And they're just like, <laughs> why are we keeping secrets? I'll be quiet. And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> I'm just I just need you to be like, well, I'm going to be super quiet. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Maybe it's better if I don't talk to you at all. Yeah. <laughs> so it just cracks me up every time. Um, and on a side note, the movie is Ghost Town with Ricky Gervais. As, Ricky Gervais. As the lead, oh. as the lead who's supposed to get the girl, and you're supposed to believe that he is going to get a girl because I could believe it. He That yeah, new show no. that he did, what is it? Is it after? I can't remember what yeah, the no. new show Yeah. Everybody should go watch it. We should actually do this one and we'll like, okay. talk smack about it. Put it on the list. No. Note it down, Sybil. Ghost Note town. it down. <laughs> All right. Moving along. So after her tremendous success, like with the hostage negotiation, she lies and says on TV and says that the president has agreed to the whole environmental initiative. He's so happy with it. We got the bees, the trees. I don't think we don't have the seas still. Probably she didn't lie about that. I don't think. No, she, just, the kept, president- she just kept the trees. He's super cool with it. And she's amazing. <laughs> and Seth Rogen is like touching himself and they're so his high. chest. His chest. <laughs> yeah. Not his not his penis. But he's touching yeah. like he's you can tell he's still so high. Yeah. And the president is pissed. He's super pissed. He he calls her in to meet with her and he surprises her with Parker Wembley. So Which nobody wants a surprise of. No. Parker Wembley in this movie terrible. Creepier than Gollum by a lot. Yeah. So he comes in and he shows her a laptop and on the laptop they have hacked into Fred's hard drive and he is saying you've got to give up the trees and fall in line or we're going to release these contents and then he plays her a video of Fred very like daintily getting ready to um, masturbate <laughs> to a speech with Charlotte in it and and previous prior to that in the video you see him calling up Charlotte and asking if she can come and have sex with him for a little bit and so it's it would be probably the worst thing you can imagine as a politician having released to the public. Yeah. Yeah. Any got any more comment on that? I, I'm trying to think. So like I, I keep trying to think of this part, and I, I try to think to myself if if this would really be the worst thing. For, first of all, I think that it's incredibly well done the way that it's filmed. Like. It's film where he's like walking in front of his camera and he unzipped his pants and he has mm-hmm. like, he's like a, sh- he has like a glass of wine. Yeah. And oh my God. He's, oh my he's God. like, he smells, he smells the lotion that he's going to use as if like he's setting in a, he's setting a mood. Right. He's like yep. making sure that everything's clean and tidy. Right. He's setting a, a, a mood for himself because he is going to masturbate to the speech that he wrote that she's saying. Yeah. Because this is the hottest thing in the world, yeah. which for a man is romantic. But it's like, I think for a man, it would also be, that would be a very emasculating sort of way in our right, culture. But he's also like a different kind of guy, right? Oh, I know. I know. But it would make right. like, I think it but, would play to the public. Like some guys would be like, oh my God. The part, the part that he's most embarrassed about is actually the ending. I don't know if it's actually the masturbation. 
I, I want to oh. say it's actually the end that what happens at the very end of the masturbation. Oh yeah. I didn't talk about the end of the clip, which is duh. That's like probably the most important part of the clip. So he's masturbating and then the cum flies onto his face. And he yells, like, oh boy. Oh yeah. And he yells, oh boy. <laughs> he's oh boy. Like, and the cum goes into his beard. Yeah. But like, I want to say that he actually wasn't embarrassed up until that point. Mm-hmm. He was like, well, I mean, everybody masturbates. I don't care. I'm, yeah. I'm fine with myself. I believe in myself. Cause he's actually a very like, he, he easily easily embarrassed, which you set up before, but he's actually very confident in himself. Yeah, too. Right? His dick wasn't yeah. being shown; it was just his yeah. face, right? Yeah. And so I think that he was he was okay up until that point, hmm. and that's where he kind of like loses it. He's like, oh, I'm super embarrassed by this. But America is so puritanical. America is. And then also like the gender roles that America expects sometimes of men and women are so rigid that I think it would be just a really embarrassing video, like not necessarily to Fred, but like to Charlotte or well, to, like the way the public the would perceive you. And that's the biggest point, right? Is so, cause when we, it's when Charlotte, Charlotte talks about it, you know, she, it's her feelings and his feelings. We have two different sides of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I think that for Charlotte, she's just like, this is devastating. This is devastating for my career. I actually don't care as much that Fred got caught masturbating on camera, but it's devastating for my career. Right. And I think for Fred, it's all about like, how is this showing for me? How am I feeling that I'm on camera? And he doesn't even think about her career. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, there's a quote that she says about that. She says, look, you and I both know the woman who stands beside the guy who's coming on his face gets way more scrutiny than the guy who's actually coming on his face. Right. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think that that actually shows kind of like where like the, the characters, so much of who the characters are. Because here's a man who's like, I'm feeling the emotions of what is happening. And she's like, listen, we got to like, we got to like control the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I can't even feel this right now. We just have to control this. Yeah. And so in an effort to control it, like she comes up with this, like she loves him enough that she's going to try to stay together with him in some way, shape or form. And in her version of that, in this case is we're going to scrub your internet history. We're going to like get somebody to work on your, you know, your brand or whatever, like, so that like we can be together maybe a few months down the road in the mm-hmm. campaign. And she's, and she's going to scrap the trees. She's just getting rid of yeah, the trees. Yeah, she's getting rid of the trees again because ultimately that's what this is about. This is about getting rid of the trees. And she's just going to like both compromise her political vision and then try to get Fred to kind of compromise, you know, who he is to be in the relationship. That's the deal she's offering him. And he says, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Like, I love you and I wish I was the kind of guy who could do it, but I can't do it. Although I think he later reneges on that. Yeah, he, he does. He does. But fun. so he even says something more deeply, which I think is. I really like this part because he's like, so what you're saying is, is that we, I will, I will essentially, you're going to scrub who I am, mm-hmm. what I am, what I believe in, and then we'll, we'll maybe be able to be together, but I won't be who I am anymore. Yeah. And for me, I was just like, wow, that's so powerful. Because once again, he is a writer. So he's like, I can, I'm going to get it down to the basics. You're going to pretend it's something else. But what you're saying is you don't want to be with me. And she's less like, yeah, kind of. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Hmm. I, you know, and there's this whole scene where, where um, they show like, 
they they do optics of her being with other people like Danny DeVito or, or Maggie does that. Yeah. yeah to, to find out like what it would be like if like she was dating him. And my favorite part is it's literally a potato with like his jacket on it, <laughs> which, <laughs> and I'm, and I just, I think about that part and I'm just like, yeah, she, she might do better with a, a potato with a jacket on it. Hmm. You know, that's what she's saying. The optics. Yeah. And it's it's very sad, but like you think about like the reality of this, and it's it must be so very hard for people in politics, for people in the limelight, you know, for you know people like you know Prince Harry to hmm. choose partners. Yeah, because this, to deal with. It, we're just talking about a movie, but this is reality for some people. Yeah, and it's not it's affecting like what policies you'll be able to pass or like whether yeah. you'll be able to elected to pass them. So for sure. Yeah. 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 And it's one of the th- it's one of the reasons why I really dig this movie is because like you although you can enjoy it, you can also look at it and be like, wow, like this is also just holding up a mirror to stuff that's going on, which is what good good entertainment should actually do. Yeah. So do we want to let's talk about what happens at the end then? Shall All right, we? let's go there. So the end, so after they've broken up and they play some It Must Have Been Love, some rock set, and they're riding sadly in limos or staring off into the distance, Charlotte is giving a speech to announce her candidacy for president and announce that she's quitting as Secretary of State. And in the middle of the speech, she gives one of those setup lines that like, if the little girl I used to be could see me today, and then that's the point where she falters, she'd be, she'd be, and then she's like, Actually, she'd be ashamed or something like she'd that. She'd be so disappointed. And I yeah, know that's okay, because I it. use the word disappointed a lot <laughs> when I'm truly disappointed. There's nothing sadder than somebody being disappointed. Shamed is whatever, but disappointed <laughs> is like the harshest term somebody can use. So it does that classic like end of a movie speech where you think they're going to give one speech and then they turn around and give a totally different speech. And she's like, and and I think it's a pretty... I understand why they did it this way for comic effect. She uses some pretty crude language and she says, calls the president a dumb fuck. And she says he and his evil friend are blackmailing us. She doesn't say about what, mind you, which would have been helpful to talk about. Then she talks about how you're going to see, they're going to release a video of my boyfriend, Fred jerking off. And like, and I think she even says coming on his face. And I'm like, Hmm, I think an experienced politician would probably finesse the language here, but okay. It's a comedy. Well, I think at that point, she wants to just be really real. She's like, I'm, I, I'm getting I rid guess. of everything. I'm just going to be super real. I guess. I guess. Why I think that she's like crude languaging it. And she's just, she's like, I'm going to be real with people. <laughs> well, she's pretty real. <laughs> she's super real. I think, I think that she's letting go of her. I think she thinks that her career is over and she's like, yeah. fuck it. My career is so. done. Let me just be the person that I am. And I might as well give you my weird, bad wave. Let's do this shit. And so she runs over to like his apartment. He runs over to where she is. Eventually he goes back to his apartment. They have nicknamed um, uh, Fred the cum guy. <laughs> yeah, just the cum guy. <laughs> Which is completely what he would be named, by the way. Yes, by the way, 100%. <laughs> or, jizz, or jizz dude, something like that. Oh, that's pretty good too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so they, um, they have this like their emotional like um, – I'm coming here to tell you that I love you and I care about you and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I've loved you since I was 12 and they kiss. And, and then like, they find out that the public is waiting for them outside his apartment door. They go down, they greet the public who are cheering at them. I don't know how realistic that part is, but Hey, it's Brooklyn and it is Brooklyn, right? It is Brooklyn. Brooklyn. 
And then very quickly, they show you a series of shots where Charlotte has, in fact, become the president. She's being sworn in. And and then they do this last little interview sequence. Oh, they show him showing his first gentleman portrait, which is by Todd McFarlane, who did the art for Spawn. (laughs) And then they show them with this little interview sequence, which I thought was really interesting. Because it's the interview sequence you usually see where the first lady is like being really supportive of the president and being like, you know, I gave up my career as a lawyer because I can do much better work like supporting President blah, 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 my husband. But it's reversed in this case. I thought that was interesting, but it was weird. What was interesting to me about it, though, was that like automatically I felt a little uncomfortable for him. And I'm a feminist, so it was weird that I felt uncomfortable for him. But like really? he took her name. So yeah, because uncomfortable I, think it's, I think it's when he said that he took her name because like I'm a feminist and I didn't take my husband's name. You know, like I like that was important to me to keep my name and keep my identity in that sense. Well, and I mean, I have to agree with you. I think that everybody shouldn't be taking people's names anymore. I think it's like yeah. some weird old practice. But I can understand why he chose to because of the American people. Sure. For me, it just oddly ended up seeming like almost an overcorrection. But then I wonder, maybe the movie did that just to make people feel uncomfortable, to make you think, why are you so comfortable with women doing this? And it makes me uncomfortable that a man's doing that. I might be overthinking it, but... I mean, it, it, it'll it do whatever it's doing. Also, it could just be like, it's it for some people, it's funny where they're just like, any ticker name. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was interesting to me, though, because like... Yeah, I think it might have uncovered maybe like uh, parts, like little bits of internalized misogyny that I didn't know were hiding out down in there. Or maybe I just like everything to be equal. I don't know. It's possible. And hey, dear listeners, we'd love to hear from you about what, (laughs) you know, you feel about people taking each other's names. Yeah. So, so let's see. So have we talked enough about like the story? Can we get into it? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think the story has been hashed very well. So I wanted to talk a little bit about like the film is full of a lot of pop culture references. And one of the most important ones is Pretty Woman. And I actually found a little clip that was cut from the film, but was in some kind of Stephen Colbert clip that I wanted to play really fast. That makes Go one of them it. very clear. It's Pretty Woman. You're Julia Roberts and Richard Gere is about to come pick you up. Do I look okay? Do I or- look funny? Why are these pockets here? Why am I wearing these stupid They're pants? They're too tapered. You can't think like this. You have to be positive. Mr. Florsky? Okay, so we, 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 we've been seeing these pretty woman references in the movie, but that just like puts it right out there. Like he's about to get picked up by Charlotte's limo and brought to her. And they've just made like, this is what we're referencing. Plus they have It's Must Have Been Love is her favorite song. They play it throughout the movie. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to say a shout out to um, Lance, his best friend, because I think that he was amazing in this film. And, oh, yeah. How have we yeah. not talked about Lance yet? You know, because sadly, Lance is kind of like a side character who's not who doesn't really move the plot along much. He's just kind of there to I, I, he, he's you could cut Lance completely out of this career. film. No, I don't think you could do. I don't. I disagree. I don't think you could. Cut you Lance. could 100% cut Lance out of the film. It wouldn't be as good, but you could. So but I think we like, just listen, we just talked about this film and didn't talk about Lance at all. Proof that you can make this film without Lance. Not going to be as good, but you can do it. That's true, except I think Lance is the reason that Fred decides he wants to get back together with um Charlotte because he find Fred finds out that Lance his best friend who is black and he just assumed was a democrat because he's black, which is a bad assumption people. He finds out his friend has been a Republican the whole time and that his friend, like he loves his friend and some of the philosophy that his friend has is based in his, you know, Republicanism or his Christianity and it's philosophy that's kind of worked for Fred. And so it kind of makes him question, you know, his rigid idealism and like, 
you know, maybe he could bend a little bit. So I don't know. I think Lance serves an important function there. I, I think that Lance is an amazing character in this movie. I think he's well, he's well used. He also brings, he also brings a lot of, a lot of the diversity that this film needs. You know, mm-hmm. like he, he's a person who's sitting in, he's, he's a person who's standing in an entirely white room and being like, Hey, it's really bright in here. Uh, right? That's a benefit that they go to with boys. Yeah, to men. It's, like, yeah. it's very bright in here. It's just me and boys to men. Right. Yeah, and then he said a couple of people have already told me they love my music. Right. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's the, he's that guy. He's the guy who does it and who, who walks around and, you know, is, is more than just a black friend, but is actually a person in this film who's like, Hey, notice that, you know, there's a, there's a different voices here. And he's a really supportive friend to Fred too. Like he's he always is. like kind of like building him up and like giving him support and like reminding him that he's worthy of love. Like he even tells him, you have an affirmation. I'm worthy of love. <laughs> and, so, and at one point Fred's saying the affirmation. Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to make sure I, I shout it out to Lance there for a moment. Yeah, because- I think I, I do have him on our podcast outline somewhere, but I must've put him too far back. I'm sorry, Lance. You are That's awesome. all right. So I just wanted to shout out to Lance, but back to pretty woman. So the pretty woman is, I'm sure that there's even more references on the cutting room floor somewhere or in the original draft of the script. You know, I'm sure that there was more heavy references, but there are so many like pieces to it. So like when they're, you know, dancing the tango and we're in that whole scene, uh, she's wearing a red dress, pretty woman Mm -hmm. style. You know, they Mm -hmm. are, they're dancing, uh, which, you know, they, they dance. He bought her the clothes. She she buys him clothes. There's so many references. Yeah. There's yeah. Some, all they needed is a piano to go sit on. You oh, know? God. Piano sex scene, Piano sex scene. That's what I needed. <laughs> I'm sure there's somewhere on an outtake, we have like a piano sex scene that we're missing. <laughs> or like Seth Rogen in a hot tub singing Prince. That would I would I would die to watch that. That would be hysterical. <laughs> With a falsetto. Yeah. Uh, but, but so so much good, like pretty woman stuff going on here. Yeah. And there's like the whole thing is just full of nostalgia and references, which on one level, you know, can be good. But on another level, I feel like their reference field is such a specific time limited field. Like there's just like a very limited number of people who are going to get the Pretty Women references, the Beverly Hills 90210 references, the Boys to Men references, the Polly Shore references, for God's sakes. Who like is there anybody under 30 who knows who Polly Shore is anymore? <laughs> No, I don't. But I think maybe but not think, even under forty. No, but I think that was also because I think also that is because a that's their connection point, right? And that the writers of this that's what they're writing. Remember how I said that this felt more like a TV show than a movie? Yeah, yeah. that's what it felt like. So I many think maybe times, in TV, yeah, in TV there's less need to be evergreen to have things. That's correct. Like- yeah. That's correct. It felt so fast and just pressed, like compressed. And that's what TV feels like. And so when I was watching this, I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. Like these moments where she's like, oh, okay, we're, that's what we're doing. And I'm sure a bunch of this was just ad-libbed. Hmm, could be. I don't know. Oh, sorry. I'm kind of like losing my track here for a second. <laughs> You're doing fine. So um, we're talking about um, idealistic youth versus adulthood. Yeah, that's a big theme in this movie. Um, just a sense of nostalgia for the past is in the references. And then I think there's a nostalgia for Charlotte on her part of her of her youth and the ideals that she had that she's had to like compromise. Yeah, the uh, nostalgia, I think, is something that I actually didn't notice the first time I watched this. And then when I read your show notes, I was like, oh, my goodness, absolutely. 
Um, mm-hmm. So when I watched this again with with a view for this, I was like, oh my gosh, how did I miss all this? Absolutely. There's so much of it. Uh, and I think it's because, you know, they are looking towards their past. And I think a lot of it is because he is looking towards you know, this idea of like young love. Yeah. You know, and she's yeah. also just trying to find, she's going through a period of like trying to refine herself. Yeah. Because she's lost herself in her, her like, kind of like fear of compromise. And this could be a real change point for her. If she goes with kind of like Maggie's optics style, optics, no nonsense style, we're just going to move ahead with the plan. You know, we're not going to worry too much about losing the, the, the bees and the earth, sorry, the trees and the seas, because the plan, you know, it still sounds good. Like she, she could go that way or she could be a little more uncompromising. She's at a change point. Yeah. So uh-huh. yeah. totally. Okay, so how about, um, what about, should we talk a little bit about the unbelievable stuff in the film or do you think we've, we've, covered we've touched on some of it for sure. Um, I think there might be a couple more points that we, we could touch on. Um, let's, let's just, t- let's go ahead and go into it real quick. Yeah. So the, one of the things that really, like, like it's a comedy. So I think you know, when I look at the list, like almost everything is there just because it's funny. Like yeah. it's pretty unbelievable that they would let Fred Flarsky continue to walk around looking like such a slump or whatever. Like, I don't know if that's an actual word, but just looking <laughs> ridiculous and schlubby for like most of the first part of the film. And then they go to a Swedish banquet and they dress him in a traditional Swedish outfit and they laugh at him. And I'm like, the secretary of state can't laugh at a traditional Swedish outfit. She would be like, Oh yeah, it's very nice Swedish outfit. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if they were in a hallway by themselves, she could Maybe. totally laugh at that. Maybe, I guess. But like, they're still in. real people. Yeah, it's they're still real people. No, the biggest one is how in what world is he actually a speechwriter? Oh yeah, that's so true. that starts that's from the beginning. I'm like, how in what world, real world, is he actually a speechwriter? Because that's where I, I I actually just draw the line there. There's no way in hell when he's like, I got a book on being a speechwriter. I'm like, uh, did you now? No, I think he Googled it. He didn't yeah, even get like, a book. He Googled it. Yeah, did you now? Okay, cool. Because like you ain't a speechwriter, dude. Yeah, yeah. And then in his one of his first speeches for her, he gives her the phrase, but fucking Mother Earth is in the speech. And I'm like, because no, no journalist. But no journalist would think that's realistic either. Journalists aren't dumb. Like journalists cover politics. They know that politicians don't talk that way. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I, we covered a lot of this, but just like they make him very unprofessional at times. They make him, and and why would she hire him? That's a little unprofessional. They dress him terribly, and when she does the hostage hostage negotiation, they barely change her outfit. They just put like a, a suit coat on top of her. There's She's like glitter literally, in her hair still. there's yeah, there's glitter and confetti in her hair. <laughs> but it's so funny. It's just so funny. It is, it's it's because it's comedy. It's comedy. Yeah. It's just comedy. So, it, ready? Are rom coms real? No. There are ones that are more real than others, but yeah, yeah. But not not really. But remember, this it does a really good job. What I like about this film is it does a really good job in many ways, also talking about the real stuff that's going on in life and mirroring kind of emotions that people have. And you know, and so I that's what I appreciate. Many things are not realistic, it's a movie. So, like the main question that we sometimes ask on the show is like, would this relationship work in the real world? Do you think? (laughs) Um, absolutely not. (laughs) nope no way um she doesn't even look at this guy as a guy that she's gonna have sex with because her life is gonna be like like her her lovely friend says she's like "Uh uh-uh the optics on this are horrible and the paparazzi is gonna notice and they're gonna be like a dude a potato in a jacket in a windbreaker is gonna be better 
So are you basically saying they would never have hooked up in the first place? They would so never have hooked up okay. in the first place. No. Yeah, I agree with I agree with you that they probably wouldn't have hooked up in the first place. But if I'm following the film logic of the film, I think they could work within the logic of this film in the future. But yeah, I don't think they would have gotten together in the real world in the first place. Right. Yeah. And this is like, ugh, yeah, no, I, it's hard. In in I guess in the film, like their film world, yeah, they probably do. I don't. I, yeah, it's hard to say. They have like kind of complementary personalities. I mean, they absolutely do. Kind of- They're sweet for each other. But yeah, yeah, in real world, no, hell no. Cool, cool. We agree. I think on this. So yeah, I think one of, so we were talking way at the beginning of the podcast about like why my rating had changed a little bit. And I think the reason my rating changed a little bit, and you know, honestly talking to you about the movie, I like it more again. So it's kind of wavering, but that's okay. That, I mean, that's, that's good. That's good film. But I thought like for me, like I tend to like um, my rom-coms to be less raunchy. I've never been a big fan of the raunchy ones as much. So like for me, it could have been like a really different and sweeter movie if they had like pulled back a little bit, like no 13 year old boner. Don't show it. You could talk about it, but like, why did they show it? Or oh, why did they have to show the come on his face? Like, I love I feel like the you could have done I both those things boner. without mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And you look, you're so you're totally opposite. But for me, I'm like, you know, it was so close to being really romantic for me and really sexy. I'm like, then it, that just, nope, gets in there. It's like, nope. Or like, there's like crude humor, like Lance, like talking about him losing his job. You got fucked like a stepmom on Pornhub. And I'm like, yeah, I guess people yeah, do talk that. like that. Because that's real life. Like I'm down with real life and that's real life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. One, one version of it. Like my in-laws don't think anyone ever swears. And it's just like, I just don't swear in front of you because I know you don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. But I I can, and I totally respect that. Like my mom would never watch this movie. Not ever. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I get that. I totally get that. You know. And the other thing I noticed about the movie, like watching it a couple more times, was that like the music is doing a lot of the work for me a lot of the times in the scenes. Like the scenes I love the most, the the Moon River scene, Frank Ocean, Moon River, looking out at the ocean after they've had sex scene, the music is doing so much of the work there. Like when I really looked at it, I'm like, yeah, that's such a great cover. It's very, it captures the essence of that song and makes it even better for me. And then the It Must Have Been Love is such a resonant song for anyone who grew up like in the 80s. Like not only like you associate it with Pretty Woman, but it's just a beautiful, bittersweet song. I sing it in karaoke. It's great. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And well, I, I guess yeah. what it leads me to is that I would have liked to like I would be really interested to see a version of this film. And it's never going to happen, of course, but with the exact same cast, but just a little more serious and a little less raunchy. I would love to see like that tone with these same actors. I think they could have pulled it off. I'd be bored. I'd be so bored by that film. I'd be so bored by that film. I'd be like, why am I watching this film? It's just another, it's just another rom-com like this. I love that this one's set apart. It's, it's, it's a dude's rom-com and I appreciate that. I call it a semi-dude rom-com for me. Like, I think it's not as duty as like something like uh, Knocked Up or 40 Year Old Virgin because you get so much of Charlotte in it and there's so, it goes so much into feminist issues, but yeah, it has a lot of dude humor for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I like I know we've, we we're going kind of long. Do you, do you stop time, Sybil? Can you? I'm good. Me? You're fine. So I wanted to talk about like even though this came out in May 2019, I feel like subsequent political events have made have have really changed like my view of the film in a way, and also just like maybe the way the film might be received. Like one thing is um, in the film, Charlotte's having a relationship with a staffer, her speechwriter, and then you also find out at one point that Maggie and Tom. Uh, her two assistants are have are hooking up, maybe not having a relationship. They're hooking up. 
And dating and politics has been kind of a hot button issue over the last few years. Like we had the incident where Katie Hill, and that might have been a harassment incident too. Like it's a, yeah, there's a I lot know, going yeah. on. There's a lot going on with that. But Katie Hill, you may remember the congresswoman in October of 2019. So the same year, there was a big scandal and a revenge porn issue incident as well, where naked pictures of her were released, where she's with a campaign worker. And there was an accusation that she was having an affair with another staffer that might have been involved harassment, whole thing, and that she left Congress. Um, she didn't really get any support from her colleagues. Um, she just left. So I don't like and it's considered now very problematic. Like it's against House ethics to date your staffers if you're in the House. So you're not supposed to at all. And I think it, the, the, like the younger people, especially in this country, have really changed their opinion of dating at work on a number of levels, I think, or yeah. dating with power differentials. How do you, how do you find it? Do you think that like the movie? Well, I think that for these, so for these two, they were, I think that, I mean, for me, like, I don't, I think that, I think it's hard in the workplace. Cause like one of the things I don't think has ever been okay to date in the workplace, period. I mean, there's a reason well, why HR is always like, if you're going to date in the workplace, you're supposed to like sign paperwork. And that's actually been since every, every time I've known, like if you're, I think like, it's, I think it changed in the nineties, like actually when yeah, sexual like, harassment you were, came it's because of sexual harassment, you're always supposed to do it, right? You're yeah. supposed to be like, hi, I'm supposed to announce that I'm like dating this person. It's awkward and weird. Hi. But I think it started changing in the nineties and I dated my first boyfriend was actually my superior at work. Not that it mattered. It was like a freaking well, movie theater. Right. But yeah. So, you wouldn't do that either probably. Right. And and so that, that's the thing. Like you're like, does it really matter? Well, it doesn't matter if it matters. You have to announce it because otherwise it can be construed as a problem later. So like, but you think this power differential or this relationship would be different because, simply because of their past history, because they knew each other's because children. Because their past history. Absolutely. Um, or because he's a consultant, sort of more. Yeah, not. and also I was literally thinking because he's more of a consultant. He's not really like he can leave at any time. He's not really yeah. being paid. He's not really being paid by. He's a. He's not really a staff member. He's like I can yeah. leave by. And I know. think that was the same case, though. I think that may have been the same case with Katie Hill's campaign staffer, but don't quote me on that. But anyway, there was more involved in that case. But subsequently, there's also been a, con a controversy in this cycle. There's a guy um, from Massachusetts named Alex Morris who was running in the first congressional district against, uh, what is his name again? I think Richard Neal, who's a longtime congressperson. Richard Neal ended up win winning in that primary. But there was a big scandal. Alex Morris is a young gay mayor of Holyoke, Massachusetts, near oh, where we I went remember to college. This, yeah. Yeah. And like, um, basically, he was accused of being behaving inappropriately because he was dating and socializing with people who were students in the five college area, which we both went to college. Right, Hampshire, right. Five colleges. And the thing about that is, A, Alex Morris is, was very young. So he's like 25. So many people are students in that area. Right. The like, there's, where, who else is he supposed to date? There's nobody there. <laughs> Professors, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> he's too young. I mean, like, yeah. there's five freaking colleges there. Like, what what else yeah. is he supposed to do? And, and to be clear, he was never accused of dating one of his students, anyone right. who was in his class. He was just accused of being on Tinder. And he was also accused of writing an Instagram message to somebody he met at an event. And then when they actually uncovered the Instagram message, it was very benign. It was very like, oh, I'm going to a campaign rally. What did you do? Blah, blah, blah. Right. And the, the Intercept did a lot of reporting on this. So if you want to know about it, you can Google Alex Morse, The Intercept. But I think he's, a, because as a gay man, I think you would face somewhat similar issues to a woman dating in politics. Because yeah, your sexuality, Your sexuality has been, you know, 
what is the word I'm looking for? They've been discriminated against in, the, right. in similar ways, a little right. bit different, but you've been viewed as someone who it's shameful for you to be sexual in a puritanical society. Right. Right. It's not just like, oh, boys will be boys. So, yeah. I mean, I guess the Alex Morris incident makes this almost more relevant of a movie, whereas the Katie Hill might make you stand back and think, well, what are the ethics here? Right. But yeah, I mean, it, it's all interesting conversation. It's definitely a, it's definitely a, like there are landmines out there, man. Yeah. And then the other thing I thought that might be a little bit differently viewed now is the um, the relationship between Lance and Fred. Like when he finds out that his friend is a Republican, like he's he's upset at first and he's very like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. But he accepts it. You know, he's like, OK, you are my friend. And I said something that was racist by assuming you wore this cross because you were black rather than that you were a Christian. Right. And he, he kind of owns it. But I see so much polarization these days and reluctance for people to be friends or even really friendly acquaintances across political divide because of so many of the incidents that have happened over the last year, because of the greater, you know, the greater awareness of our history of racism in the country. And I wonder like what the, what the, I think you almost had to make Lance, you know, a black friend, black Republican friend for even to be accepted even 2019. I agree. Well, the other thing is that I felt was really interesting in that is that Lance, they've been friends for how long? And Lance has stayed quiet. Yeah. Every time that, you know, his lovely friend has said something that Lance hasn't agreed on, he's just stayed quiet. Yeah. Right? Whereas there's no way that Seth Rogen's character, if Lance had said something, he would have stayed quiet. Yeah. Right? And this just shows the difference between what essentially a, you know, a a, a black man and a white man, how how they would be different. Yeah. And also living in certain areas, like I think people may be more or less reluctant to talk about their political opinions too. Yeah. Like, like yeah, he's in Brooklyn. He's in Brooklyn. He's in my yeah. there in many ways. Yeah, I was a loudmouth and I grew up in a conservative county, but there were definitely costs to be had for for speaking up about liberal issues in a conservative county. Like I spoke up for gay rights, so everybody just assumed I was a lesbian. I mean, clearly. <laughs> and I'm like... I'm not, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm still going to stand up for these things. Like, but it can be hard social pressure to like conform to the views of those around you. And these days I I, I'm on Twitter too much. I'll admit. So I do see a lot of division more than most people might see in their daily life. But I feel like people are so like all Republicans are evil or all Democrats are evil rather than just being like, everyone is a person. There's a wide spectrum and not even everyone is a Democrat or Republican. So I'd like to remind everyone who's listening that Longshot is a romantic comedy that we are having deep political conversations about. So when you're sitting around thinking to yourself, oh my God, rom-coms, what? They're just a bunch of crap that we just okay. go out on dates for. No, they're not. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of societal issues that fall into the, the purview of rom-coms. They're reflecting yeah. our lives. Yeah, Relating and the best ones are ones like this where you have deep conversations about them. So if you were, so do you want to talk any more about this issue or are we almost? I, I think we, we're good. I, I mean, we could, I mean, we could have had a whole show about this issue and just on this movie, uh, but we'll, so keep going. We, we'll move on. We'll, we'll do We'll get into something new that we're going to add to the show, which is, which was Sybil's idea. And it's amazing. I didn't think of it because we used to literally run a film group where we would run double features. Like, it's true. Skirting the copyright law. No, <laughs> totally, totally skirting the copyright law. It's fun because I now, um, I now live in a place where we the, the we have a drive-in movie theater, and they show double features 
features together. Nice. And the guy who picks them does the worst job ever. And I'm constantly critiquing <laughs> his choices. <laughs> Bring him some like old like vintage private screening posters and show him. I, I still have literally. Some. I'll be like, dude, this is this is not how you show double features. <laughs> this is not how you do it, dude. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna give you some double feature suggestions for what we can kind of go. I'll do one and then you do one. How about okay, that? Okay, cool. We, I know we have some of the same ones. So one of the first double feature suggestions I have for this is not actually a rom com. Um, it's a, another Charlize Theron role, and it's very also relevant and political and deals with sexism and it's Bombshell. And I just saw it recently streaming on Hulu. I was amazed by her performance. She like She's disappeared. Incredible. She disappeared into that performance. Yes. And I just think they're both like cover some of the same issues and showcase her acting talent. So that would be one of my choices. I agree. So that one's fantastic. That was actually one of the first ones I thought of for a double feature of this one. And Charlize Theron is incredible. She was nominated for that role. She did not win, but she was absolutely incredible. So. Mm. It's definitely on my list. Um, I talked about it earlier. I would say Atomic Blonde. She's also in it. Completely different. It's an action It's an action film, but she kicks ass and takes names. So you can see her as a very strong female character. Nice. And uh, some of the best action sequences you will ever see. If you rent the DVD, also listen to all the commentaries because they're incredible. Cool. Cool. Good tip. Good tip. Another one I would choose would be a very much older one, which I don't remember what year it's from. I'm sorry, but would be Dave with um, Kevin Klein. And it's a movie where Kevin Klein um, is a presidential impersonator and he ends up uh, standing in for the president in an event. The president dies and they just have him keep pretending to be the president. And then he goes in there and he kind of there's a love story with the first lady. So I think it's a it's another political rom-com. There aren't a ton of those. And I remember really liking it when I was younger. I saw it again recently. I still liked it. It might be a little dated, but it kind of shows you a little bit different version of like what politics were like in the past, what they're like now, what are the issues people think about. I still love Dave. I watch Dave. And I think Dave's a great a great option as well. Uh, you could do the American president. Uh, oh, yeah. They both came out the same year, came around this, like, and they're different films, but they feel very much the same. They actually have the same mm-hmm. cover as well, like oh. on the DVD. Um, so you could do American president as well. So I'll, okay. I wasn't, so you could do that. Um, but um, I'm, I'm going to let you do another one of your picks. Yeah, actually. I'm going to do instead. I'm going to say, take this waltz, which we talked about, which is a rom-com by, uh, with Seth, uh, Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams. And Michelle Williams is, you know, she's become one of my favorite actresses. She's incredible. She actually falls into like the background in all her roles as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a younger Seth, Seth uh, Rogen. It, it, he's incredibly poignant. You will cry in this film. Really? You will. I, you will cry. Okay. I like court movies where I cry. So I, I should definitely yeah, check that out. You will cry. It is, it is incredibly good. So it's like a, a, a bit of a love triangle. Okay. That sounds awesome. I will check it out. And my next pick would be always be my maybe. Yeah. <laughs> always. And the reason I would choose that is because it's another similar dynamic where you've got a type A powerful woman and then she and her childhood friend, but they're closer childhood friends fall in love. And he's more of like a, you know, kind of late, more lackadaisical his life isn't quite as together but he loves a powerful woman so i think that'd be a good powerful woman and like man who's like really into her combo totally i get i totally love that and that's a great film um i'm gonna do dirty dancing havana nights not regular dirty dancing but havana nights i have only seen that once so i'm really (laughs) it's not particularly an amazing movie guys but if you want the same kind of feel of like the dancing from 
that you that you kind of had in the Argentinian scenes okay. um, that, that took place in like Cartagena and stuff. You'll get that in the Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Also amazing music. And it really did have good dancing. Plot, crap, dancing, amazing. Okay. I, that one came out of left field for me. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Well, sometimes you have to go like a little different. You have to just do a little bit something different. And then like the last one, I think, I think you had mentioned you would think about it too, would be Pretty Woman, just because they're making so many Pretty Woman references in this movie. Oh and my like, God, totally. So I'd actually watch Pretty Woman first and then watch this. Yeah. Because then you would get the Pretty Woman references yes, for absolutely. one thing, especially if you had never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this um, concludes our very far-ranging discussion of Longshot, unless you have any final parting no, thoughts. No, um, this has been absolutely fantastic, guys. Uh, I will remind everybody to make sure that you uh, drop Jen uh, feedback at everyromcom.com. Yep, that's right. Feedback at everyromcom.com. Correct, Amundo. I, just, I can't uh, believe I just did correct a mundo. <laughs> correct like a mundo. Oh it's like saying oh boy when you come. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, and we will see you next time. All right. Mm-hmm.